Before we jump into the latest episode of Freelance Pod, have you heard about our first live podcast recording? That's right. Freelance Pod is going live in front of an audience. We'll be at the London Podcast Festival in September. You can join us at King's Place to watch me make an episode of Freelance Pod with a very special guest. He's a Syrian refugee, a journalist and a stand-up comedian. Abdul Sahan will join me on stage for the event. Here's a clip from episode 30, Being a Refugee is a Dream Come True, where Abdul explains the absurdities of the life in the UK test, which all prospective British citizens have to take. One of the sections in this test is about British values. And there was one of the, one of the uh, things about British values, the ability to laugh at yourself. And, and I didn't know, this is like, okay, the, the, the ability to laugh at, at myself, does that make me British? And there was another one, there was a question, actually a mock test, asking you uh, what, which one of these are British values. And it's going to the pub, uh, eating fish and chips, laughing at yourself, or having a university degree. I said, well, obviously not having a university degree, but the rest of them, the three of them could be, any of them could be a British value, like have eaten fish and chips while you're at the pub and laughing at yourself. That's it, I've cracked it. Uh, please give me the British citizenship now. If you'd like to hear more from Abdul Tahan, come along and see him interviewed on stage by me at the London Podcast Festival live recording of Freelance Pod. It's happening on Saturday the 7th of September at 2pm. The venue is King's Place, King's Cross, and you can buy tickets for under a tenner at www.kingsplace.co.uk forward slash what's dash on forward slash words forward slash freelance dash pod. You can also find out more about the London Podcast Festival on Twitter at London Podfest or one word. Let me know if you're coming along to my live recording. I'd love to see you there. On to this week's episode. The other day, well, I shouldn't say the other day, I started doing it all the time then. I put my headphones in when I'm drying my hair because I'm so I can listen to it. Suppose it's like 10 minutes when I have I to love be alone the dedication. How many, how many new podcasts a month would you say you listen to on the whole? Is it impossible? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I listen to probably like, I probably listen to four podcasts a day and I would say I try, at least one of those would be new and sometimes more. So, yeah, I guess. And so you can listen at work, which not everyone can do. Yeah. And, and you listen while traveling. You listen just all the time. You don't need to be in a conversation or be doing mm, something. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I consume other media as well. And I, listen to, I, you know, I do listen to music. But in terms of, um, like, the walk around stuff and, like, doing chores and bits and bobs, podcasting has kind of replaced music, I think, for that for me. And I think for a lot of people. I mean, I still listen to music, but that's more like if I've got people over or, you know, or when I'm going out to see music. Um, yeah, for, for just general, you know, getting on with my life, I tend to have a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Chandrika Chakrabarti, and I'll be your host. Freelance Pod tells stories about creativity and the digital revolution. I've been a journalist for 13 years now, and a podcaster for nearly two, so I've seen a lot of the changes that digital has brought to the media. I've also trained a lot of people on how to deal with all these changes. I'm now freelance and juggle a number of jobs myself, writing for different audiences, making audio, teaching, speaking, presenting. It's a classic portfolio digital career. On each episode of this podcast, I ask a person who works in a creative field 
tell me about how the internet has transformed or invented their job. From Twitter's Director of Curation to Ed Miliband's podcast producer, along with a few appearances from some guy called Charlie Brooker, we've been hearing brilliant stories about how the internet has revolutionised work and, well, our lives. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts and why not tell a friend too? This helps our community grow and that enables me to keep making Freelance Pod. You can also sign up for the Freelance Pod newsletter, which comes out every time there's a new episode, which is about every week. You can find the newsletter at sachandrika.substack.com. Sachandrika is spelt S-U-C-H-A-N-D-R-I-K-A. So that's sachandrika.substack.com. The podcast is also on social, of course. And I do love hearing from you, so feel free to get in touch. You can find it on Twitter at freelance underscore pod underscore. It's on Instagram at freelance pod, all one word. There's also a Facebook group. Just search for freelance pod. The podcast isn't officially on LinkedIn, but you can find me on there too. I'm Sachandrika Chakrabarti, and I do share all that juicy freelance pod content on there. So on to this week's guest. I'm Zoe Jays, I'm Deputy Managing Director of King's Place, and I'm programmer and producer of the London Podcast Festival. So, uh, 11 years ago, I was working in Nottingham at a, a different art centre, and uh, I felt like it was, I kind of done all I could there, and I was lucky enough timing-wise to see an ad in The Guardian for a new art centre opening in London, which obviously doesn't happen every day. 11 years ago. It was 11 years ago, yeah, I've been here for 11 years. <laughs> uh, which is weird because I'm only 25 um, so yeah we uh, I saw the ad I applied <laughs> and I got the job which at that point was operations manager I'd been a front of house manager in Nottingham so it was kind of the next step up uh, and then I sort of just have graduated through you know being here for that amount of time to deputy managing director which is what I am now in terms of the podcast and comedy side of things so uh, in 2009, um, we had a bit of uh, a lull in our season, sort of coming into July when the music programme had sort of slowed down a bit. And my boss asked if anyone had any ideas for programming, and I'm an enormous uh, comedy fan. So I suggested that maybe we did some Edinburgh previews. That went exceptionally well. Um, and then ultimately, uh, they asked me if I wanted to start programming comedy here, um, which is, I think normally there's a much tougher route into getting to program in a venue, but... Uh, passion and enthusiasm seem to do <laughs> During our opening concerts, we, we opened with 100 concerts in five days in October 2008. Um, but the, and the Guardian is directly above Hall 1 and their fit out hadn't finished. So like we had classic, our first like classical con- concerts that morning, you could hear the banging from the Guardian fit out. So we had to go upstairs and tell them to shut up. It was a regeneration area. Yeah, yeah. We thing. were kind of out on our own at that point. But now it's, it's, it's unrecognisable from, from when, when we opened in 2008. It's incredible. There's like a new amazing thing every week, it feels like. Comedy was a struggle for a few years, uh, for like a couple of years, because we're so well served for comedy in London, and you can see a lot of stuff for free or for incredibly cheap. Um, or, and we were just trying to do quite traditional. We started off just doing like mixed bill stuff, then I tried to make better use of the spaces and having like more more improv, more musical comedy, more character, co- more more stuff that would make use of the rooms, you know, the things that were unique about the performance spaces. But even that was a struggle because we ticket prices 
are always going to be relatively on the high side because we have such high running costs, you know, because it's such a beautiful building, but that's expensive to run as a charity. We tend to not go, not go above 20. No, 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 we don't. But, um, but you're competing with, you know, the Star of Kings next door where you can see something for free or, you know, like North, one North Dam around the road where you see something for a fiver and really, really great stuff because that's the thing about being in London is you're so spoiled for choice. So we did the first live podcast here and I think the first one was uh, Pecan Gamble did an, uh, some emergency broadcast stuff and they did a live episode of their podcast um, which worked incredibly well and then that same year was when uh, we the complete guide to everything came from New York for the first time, um, and that was the turning point in terms of I was like, wow, that works incredibly well in these spaces, better than it would anywhere else. It was the first time I was like, that's our USP because our performance spaces are designed around their acoustic, and they're essentially very beautiful recording studios. You know, you can. So I've been on that stage. Um, Radio Days Europe's podcast yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember I was trying to get a lot of audience participation. Yeah. With jokes, well, not jokes, but like referring to the British podcast awards, but with a very European audience who might yeah. not have kept up exactly with all of it. But I remember James Cridland, who is very well known in pod news. He's a softly spoken man, but he spoke back to me. Uh-huh. He's in like fourth, fifth row. Yeah. And I could hear him yeah. perfectly. Absolutely. The acoustics extraordinary. And that, but those things that made those rooms so amazing were hard for comedy before because they're too formal. The ceilings are too high. You know, that's not good for comedy. That's not what you want. But for podcasting, it's, it's, they're perfect. Like hall one is like the flagship room for live podcasting. I think it's, it's perfect. Hall two again is, is designed around amplified performance of music and as a recording and rehearsal space. And now we've, we, we refurbed the St Pancras room which is our 100 seat room a couple of years ago and now I think that's you know as good as the other two it's where I'm going to be live yeah, recording they're all just lovely now I'm incredibly proud of those you know to have those three spaces for them all to be so acoustically sound and the quality of recordings we can get because we've got such amazing gear because it's all here because we're a music venue I didn't know. think of that you're right Hall 1 is huge yeah and it's has that theatre feel mm-hmm. um but yeah, even when you sat, I've sat quite far towards the back during the British Podcast yeah. Awards. There's not a bad seat in the house. But you don't, you can hear everything. Mm-hmm. You don't feel very far away. Um, that's really interesting. And then so we're getting to the early sort of teenies. Yeah. And um, what what was working was comedy still working? Were you getting more podcasts in? Yeah, I mean we were building our reputation as comedy, and that takes time. The podcasting thing, I think we were way out in front, so that helped. I think we've always been a few years ahead of the game compared to other venues in terms of what live podcasting is. A lot of that is because I'm just a huge podcast fan. And also, so I was very aware of what was happening in America, um, you know, and, and the festivals that had already launched kind of in the, the, the early teens. We were programming more one-off podcasts. We were having the complete guide to everything come back every year and having them sell out. We were doing more one-off shows. Um, so it just felt very logical I mean really around like 2014 was when I was like I really want to do a festival but it takes a while to kind of you've got to get buy-in from everybody and it's a it's a risk especially as a charity to do something completely new um and you've got to get buy-in from you know podcasters and people um I, but I think it was 2014 when me and Tim and Tom from the complete guide to everything were like next door in the Lincoln Lounge right after one of their one of their shows where people have been literally just you know queuing up for you know, hours so they can talk to them after the shows and like we this needs to be you know, this needs to be a festival. Um 
What do you think their fans got from seeing them live? Well, this is what I think the magic of like live podcasts have over any other live event, really, is it's it's a uniquely consumed form of media. It's an incredibly intimate way of consuming content. Like, I, I live on my own, and, uh, you know, I'm often on my own in my office, where we are now, and uh, I listen to podcasts all the time. You know, whenever I'm doing anything, I'm listening to a podcast. You know, partly because want to keep up with what's happening and listen to a really diverse range of shows but also just I like listening to podcasts it's not like um, radio where it's like everyone in the no. house is, it's very like I'll pick that I'll pick that yeah yeah, yeah it's very curated and you're it's, it's really intimate you know it's, you're usually listening to your headphones or you've got your phone on the side while you're having a shower you know or, or while you're doing the washing Put up it in a bowl to amplify exactly, it exactly exactly <laughs> I mean I've got a little wireless speaker in my bathroom now so because I was like my phone was starting to like feel the wear of like constantly being in there when I was having a shower but I even listen to podcasts while I'm showering the other day well, I shouldn't say the other day I started doing it all the time now I put my headphones in when I'm drying my hair because I'm so I can listen to podcasts suppose it's like 10 minutes when I have I to love be alone the dedication how many how many new podcasts a month would you say you listen to on the whole is it impossible oh I don't know I mean I listen to probably like I probably listen to four podcasts a day and I would say I try at least one of those would be new and sometimes more so yeah I listen and so you can listen at work which not everyone can do yeah and, and you listen while traveling you listen just all the time you don't need to be in a conversation or be doing mm, something yeah pretty much mm-hmm. yeah obviously you know I consume other media as well and I listen to I, you know, I do listen to music but in terms of um, like the walk around stuff and like doing chores and bits and bobs podcasting has kind of replaced music I think for that for me and I think for a lot of people I mean I still listen to music but that's more like if I've got people over or you know or when I'm going out to see music um yeah for, for just general you know getting on with my life I tend to have a podcast on but yeah sorry what I was saying about what people get out of going to yeah yeah, yeah. a podcast I took you down to a podcast no no it's fine so yeah it's really intimate and I think you feel and you do have you have a relationship with the podcasters you know whatever the show is you have a a unique relationship with them because you are listening to them in this very intimate way um so when you meet them particularly if it's if i mean it's true for audio drama and everything else but particularly if it's quite a conversational show like the complete guide to everything is when you meet those people you feel like you're already in a friendship with them it's a completely one-sided friendship or at least you think, but then the funny thing is, once the lovely, the great thing about the festival is, and there being no barriers to chatting to people and meeting podcasters is, within a few minutes that stops being a one-sided friendship because, you know, you can, there's an, there's an ease to those conversations that happens because of all the shared things that you have around listening to the podcast for sometimes years, um, which I think is, is really special and, um, unlike other, even when you go and see a live podcast at a different venue, you might kind of, basically, you just leave straight after the show. But the nice thing that we have is all of this lovely, generous space where people can just hang out all evening. Or most of the podcasters just stay the whole time, you know, and just hang out. It's a nice bar upstairs. Exactly. You can't get rid of them. <laughs> we give them free drinks backstage and they never leave. <laughs> what do you think it is about comedy that works so well on podcasts? I think probably that improvisational... Uh, skill is is very important and just the confidence and the ease I think if you listen to a podcast and someone seems in any way unsure of what they're doing or in any way nervous or yeah if it feels too planned and I think sometimes even fantastic journalists and Ed Miliband is very good they've done reasons to be cheerful live here and it felt very natural but it needs to and it's true of all comedy and that's what a good comedian 
will make you feel incredibly relaxed and like they know what they're doing and the second you feel nervous for them or like they don't know what they're doing or that it's, it's all over you know that tension just creeps into the room and it's gone so I think in terms of conversational podcasts it is easier for comedians but the nice thing about podcasting is you don't necessarily have to be a professional comedian you can just be very funny um and I know a lot of people who you know started out doing podcasting as a hobby and now it's their whole job you know they've given up work completely um because they just are naturally very good at that I found it really well I think with Ed Miliband it's really interesting because we had him down as this awkward person. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just working at the Daily Mirror and Pitter last year and they had that big front page of him eating the Baker's Amateur. But yeah. he is an ease on his podcast and it mm-hmm. came as a surprise. We were like, oh, he's a really all right guy. And he has you know, interesting values and they're good and he's trying to do yeah, good things. and he's funny and he's charming and he's, he's laid back in that way that is appealing. I know that Baker's Amateur picture, I mean, that's, that's going to be one of those pivotal moments in history. Time travel is going like, to come back and they're like, stop that happening. Snatch the Baker's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And the alternate timeline where he wasn't photographing that big time with. Um, um, I've just listened to all of the Beef and Dairy podcasts. Yeah. Network. Ba- they, don't, they, they seem okay with bacon in that world, but obviously lamb is for bacon. Lamb and sauce. can't talk about it, no. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, yeah. Like, Benjamin Partridge, when I asked Ben to be in the podcast festival, he was quite reluctant at first because that's a very produced show. It's quite short and it's very produced, you know, and I, he, was, he wasn't sure that it would work as a live show, but then he's, he adapted it so brilliantly. Like, it was mind-blowing in that first year. And then, so then it's just graduated from, like, room to room. So now, this year, it's in the biggest hall because he's so clever about what he did. Like, he, one year he did, like, um, I think in the second year... He did, like, the annual Beefman's luncheon. It's always themed within the yeah. world, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So he doesn't break the, the the logic of the show. It's still kayfabe, you know, it's still this is this is a live show of the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. All of you have come because you're interested in the beef and dairy industry. That's why you're here. Um, he keeps that going completely throughout. But then, again, and it is scripted, but he also will have people who are very talented improvisers. And there's So there's more room, I guess, within when you're doing an hour show rather than a you know, 15 to 20 minute heavily edited thing um, but he's, he's a genius he's an absolute genius I had been meaning to get into it and then when I did I had to listen to all of them and that's <laughs> the problem I was like it's like 49 episodes and um, when I've been describing it to people I call it imagine a world in which beef was the main currency <laughs> it feels like that there's like beef stocks going up and down so don't you think that's like all podcasts especially like niche ones like where they're about a specific subject that is an alternate reality where that thing is the most important thing and that's kind of like the joy of podcasting yeah you, and yeah and so as the listener you choose to step into that world you choose those mm-hmm. worlds that you step into and you disappear into yeah and that's why when you meet them, I've had a tiny taste of this with Black Mirror Cracks. Uh-huh. I had a lot of um, conference talks, but it did, it, it did well in the numbers. Yeah. And I come off the stage and people speak to me like they'd seen an old friend in Sainsbury's. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. It's like, oh, I, I feel like I know you. Yeah, totally. The Guilty Feminist has always been a live show. It's never been a studio record that then became live. Um it's a very well-structured show. It has very clear segments within it which have high levels of audience interaction, which helps. There is there is a structure to how the guests are brought out. You know, so it has that magazine show quality to it where, you know, you can watch you, you, you can watch it for a long time because like, this is happening and this is happening. Uh, the real magic of it is the... I think there was a real gap for what 
you know, Deborah and Sophie and now Deborah have started doing um, for the way women feel about feminism and how we're made to feel about being a feminist. And I think she really tapped into something about the kind of, you know, guilt that we all feel about not being perfect, inclusive feminists all the time and, you know, which wave of feminists we are and, you know, whether we're an intersexual feminist and all these things about, you know, trying to be a good advocate, trying to be a good ally and and, and getting it wrong sometimes and having room to make those mistakes. Um, I think she really tapped into something there. So then through just doing the live shows, it's built up this incredible community, which then was also reflected in online, you know, they... They really did a lot of stuff on social media, on Facebook groups and on Twitter to really engage with their audience there. But in the room, it feels like you're a member of like a, a, a cult. You know, it's it's 80 percent young women, a really diverse group of young women who are all super amped up, you know, just looking up at Deborah, just going, you know, she's got the quality where you're like she's one of us. But also you kind of like worship her. Like, Isn't she incredible? This is an amazing thing. She's a leader, definitely. Yeah. But a generous one. Exactly. And you can just, like, all of these shows, not only then, you might not get a chance to have a half an hour one-on-one conversation with Deb after the show, but you you can talk to any of the other women there. And any of these live shows that you come to, you can you know you can talk to someone in that room and you'll have a pretty significant thing in common. If you're coming to see your favourite podcast, I think that says quite a lot about you. And, uh, you know, you're going to have a shared probably a shared sense of humour you know a, a lot of similar perspectives on things or a very passionate interest you know um, yeah so I think that's one of the things that the Guilty Feminist has done really successfully is you know build this incredible you know a really incredible community that then she can mobilise because they are passionate and engaged if there's causes that need supporting you know they will they will go and do it it's remarkable really yeah, in like, a few years like, about it's, it's going to be four years in December since the show started. So it's an incredible, like, stratospheric rise. I mean, it, obviously, a similar thing happened with, you know, with my dad wrote a porno. Those, there's a lot of shows, but, I mean, those two in that, in that short space of time. I think my dad wrote a porno. This was the same year? I think they were maybe both... I think they both started 2015. I think maybe my dad wrote a porno a couple of months earlier. And that's such a different kind of one. There's this... The storytelling element of like this is his dad, this is an ongoing story his dad wrote, yeah. and then their commentary on it, mm-hmm. and then they're, they're like they're engaging with something written by someone with a seventies sensibility. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an incredibly. That's just a brilliant, unique concept. You know, it's immediately compelling as soon as you hear about it. It's a great title. You go what? And then you kind of tell people oh, you just have to listen to it. And then if you listen to five minutes of it, it's it's so funny that you're gone. Um, and it, those three being, you know, university friends have such a natural rapport. Yeah. And that's a really good example of you feeling like you're also sat in that room laughing with them. Um, and that, as a live show, has been really interesting. So I, I sent them a direct message on Twitter um, in 2016, so maybe like eight months into the show, something like that. And I just said, has anyone, you know, have you thought about doing a live show? And they said, oh, no, like no one's ever, we haven't thought about it, no one's ever asked. Because they're in radio as well, so it might have been quite new. Yeah, and just, it wasn't, you know, there hadn't been a podcast festival at that point. There weren't so many live podcasts happening. It certainly wasn't such a key part of people's income model as it is now. Outside of a few specific shows, like, obviously, you know, Richard Herring's been doing this for years. You know, he cottoned on way before everyone else in terms of, you know, live podcasting. Um, 
but they but they were very open to the idea and then they but they were like well, we don't know exactly what we do like how long would it be you know would we just do the same on the show and then they came and looked at the space and they went away and like wrote this incredible show this incredible 90 minute show um that was in our first podcast and when it went on sale it completely crashed our website the demand for it was extraordinary and then we put on a second show and that crashed our website and a third show and then we just didn't have room to put on any more so we we had three sold out nights to kind of kick off the first ever festival which helped enormously I mean having the first ever my dad wrote a porno live shows really helped it was amazing like it was so important I think to launch the festival like that um uh, and now that's the same show that became the HBO special, you know, so a crazy three years for them. I should also say it was my dad wrote a porno and I think the other really, the really, the linchpin in that first year as getting a yes was, was John Hodgman saying yes and coming. I think he's so well respected, especially in America. That made a big difference, I think. I mean, we had a really nice mix. I mean, like, Richard Herring did that first year and, you know, No Such Thing as a Fish. And, uh, yeah, we had we had um, Judge John Hodgman, um, you know, was, was a big show. It, um, it was a really, a really great mix of shows. It was, it was over one weekend. Um, and I think it was probably sort of 30 shows maybe. And we didn't have the, the workshops and panels that year. Uh, maybe not like maybe like 25 shows that first year so it was on a smaller scale this year it's 60 live shows plus I think there's 20 kind of workshop and panel events and then internally was it like this has worked for us oh yeah people were absolutely delighted I mean I didn't really I didn't have I was incredibly confident but I didn't have any doubts because um if I know if I know a show's sort of download figures um even over and above its profile um, and kind of what their fan engagement is like, then you know a show's going to sell, particularly if it's the first live show they've done in the UK. I mean, people were travelling from, you know, Dublin to, and, and further than that, I think someone came from France to see John Hodgman. And like this year, people are buying tickets, you know, in Germany to come and see Doughboys because that's the only chance they'll get to see them in Europe. So um, I wasn't worried about ticket sales, but I think. The, my bosses everyone was pleasantly surprised um, by the ticket sales for sure and since that year do you see kind of any new trends people doing the live stuff differently um, from the beginning are they learning from each other and then trying to push the medium I suppose is what I'm asking yeah I mean that's a good question uh, I think people are getting more adventurous in what they're doing on stage um, and introducing more visual and sort of traditionally theatrical elements to shows. I think probably in the early days of live podcasting, it was more just two people sat on stage um, with a coffee table in between. And there's always going to be an element of that. Um, but I think people are now taking advantage more of what you can do with an audience in the room uh, compared to when you're, you know, just, just purely speaking to someone, um, you know, through their headphones. Um, I think that's, that's been a big change though. I mean, a lot of that is not the fault of the podcasters. I mean, one thing that I was really keen to offer, um, I think this is a really significant art form and we program it and produce it very much as an arts festival. It's not a conference. It's not a convention. It's an arts festival. These are performances, um, incredibly high quality performances and we have you know beautiful spaces where with you know proper lighting rigs and 
amazing audio equipment and you know fantastic AV equipment um, whereas a lot of other earlier live podcasts or even podcast festivals in the US will be in hotels or convention centres I'm sorry I'm sorry um, it's okay thanks Sophia don't bring me cake um, yeah so the um, uh, US podcast festivals that I've been to or knew about um, were not in performance spaces yes there's there's a lot of emphasis on the biz the business of podcasting I think at least yeah but also I just think people didn't think oh well they they could just we'll just put them in a fully lit room on a stage at the back of the room you know give them a couple of chairs and a couple of mics and they'll be fine you know we'll just let the audience in and whereas we treat them exactly the same as we would you know a string quartet you know they get exactly the same treatment um and that allows them then the freedom to do uh, more with them. And then I think certainly that has then been a trend. I'm not saying we started that. There are other fantastic venues who are also doing the same thing. And um, that you can now, you know, go and see a live podcast at the Old Vic or at the Bridge Theatre or, you know, these or at the Royal Albert Hall, you know, incredible, beautiful spaces. But that would have been un- unheard of five years ago. What do you think is fueling it? Is, is it a kind of... That are cu- the things we consume culturally is kind of fragmenting and everyone's sort of taking their little pieces and th- and they want something that they can relate to. They want something almost... It isn't tailored for them, but you could, you find those podcasts, they feel tailored for you or your demographic. Is that how you felt when you found podcasts that you... Yeah, loved? I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, like you expect now to be able to have whatever content you want on demand um, for free. And podcasting offers that. And I think over and above, if you're a uh, comedy that's on TV or radio or spoken word content that's on TV or radio, um, you uh, you don't have as much choice. With podcasting, you can listen to anything and you can fine-tune it to your exact, your exact sense of humour, the exact style of, if you like true crime, the exact way you like that presented, whether you like it really sensationalised or really esoteric or you know whatever drunk. it is exactly <laughs> drunk yeah drunk crime you can you can literally find exactly what you want um uh which is why it's important to to listen to a broad range of stuff um so i try and get out that there are still obviously i have favorite podcasts that i listen to every week but i do try and stretch myself as much as possible beyond that because it would be ridiculous to program a podcast festival just around my tastes <laughs> well how do, you, how do you discover new podcasts then um i there's a few ways i do look at the itunes chart every week and i know that's not um for a lot of reasons that's not um, a reliable way to see how well a podcast is doing or how good a podcast is but you do get a lot of the new ones turning up there because that that factors into the algorithm um i get a lot of recommendations from people people send me a lot of saying can you listen to this which i do if someone asks um a big way, especially in, on the comedy side of things, is if there's a podcaster that I like or a comedian, like I will follow them guesting around shows. Because then there's one element that you know you like. So I'm like, so if, say if you like, you know, Nick Weiger, who's like one of the hosts of Doughboys who are coming to the festival, I would then just search Nick Weiger on the iTunes store and listen to him guesting on other podcasts to see if those podcasts are something I'd like. Because then I know there's a familiar element that I enjoy. Um, and I'm, I have found lots of other podcasts that way sometimes it's topic based obviously like you know before going to see once upon a time in hollywood this week 
you might go, oh, um, you know, I, I want to listen to something about the Manson murders, you know, and then might listen to a few that go, actually, that one's a bit crass. This one is more about, you know, this. you might end up listening to You Must Remember This because it's, if you're interested in film and Hollywood rather than the murders themselves. Um, so that's a big way. And then also finding different voices talking about subjects that I'm interested in. So if I want to hear about, uh, you know, uh, women and especially like women of colour talking about films because the vast majority of film podcasts are, you know, by white men, vast majority of podcasts by white men, that is changing, thankfully. But um, uh, then looking to see the, the shows that are presented by uh, a more diverse range of people and, and listening to those. Um, so I found a a cult film podcast called like Switchblade Sisters through really, I wanted to hear women talking about cult films rather than, I'm not so interested in hearing men talk about those kind of films. Yeah, I mean, titles. I will give a podcast a go because of a title for sure. I think that's, that stuff is really, I think artwork's important. I think titles are important because yeah, I will be like browsing through just by, yeah, maybe by a subject or, um, or yeah, like looking for a particular comedian, seeing if what shows they've been on. And if you've got a, a nice bit of artwork, it's a compelling title I'm much more like if the artwork looks amateurish I think you're sort of put off straight away going I bet the sound quality's not very good so in terms of genres in the festival I think uh, it skews more towards comedy and then yeah what you would just lump into spoken word but that is hugely diverse uh, within what what kind of counts as spoken word Um, so yeah whether that's you know film or you know wrestling <laughs> whatever else you know there's a lot of topics within that and then there's sort of the the audio drama side of it and the more and the improvised kind of fiction sort of side what do you mean let's make it fiction actually um that seems to be like the next wave mm. of podcasts it, it's definitely harder work and much it must, harder work yeah. yeah um what do you think makes good like audio fiction and what keeps listeners coming back oh i mean i think i just think the same as you know any kind of audio fiction that you listen to I mean in the same way that uh, the quality of the shows like you know like Wooden Overcoats who've, who've been here and sold out every year in the festival and are now getting more and more successful which is brilliant um, the quality of that show in terms of production is exactly the same as you would get listening to a Radio 4 show um, and uh, but I think they have a lot more freedom, you know, in terms of, of the writing of it. And so it's the story, the performances, you know, production is really important on a show like that. I think all the things that you would say, um, you know, about any audio fiction. Um, but it, it and, and that is a performance that people can understand. If people often go, what's a live podcast? And I'll tell them about the, the vast, the huge range of different things that a live podcast could be. But certainly if you're going to see an audio drama show, that's easier to go. Because you can go, well, you know, like when you used to go to the radio theatre and see an episode of, uh, you know, a Radio 4 sitcom being recorded. It's that. So that already had a live model in it. The gap is a bit... It doesn't really close as much, definitely. Yeah. Wooden Overcoats as well. It's done in such a way it feels like it's winking at the audience. Yeah, it's yeah, really, yeah. It's very, like, tongue-in-cheek. And so it's nice to then be the audience who's actually there oh yeah completely and there's a really nice fan community around that show and then broader than that there's a lovely audio drama community you know across like the other shows like you know uh, We Fix Space Junk and like Victoriosity and um, like Mission to Zix who are coming over from the US for the festival this year and then beyond that there's the podcast 
community as a whole it's really lovely it's like there's this enormous big warm podcasting community and then there'll be audio drama meetups i went to a film podcasters meetup quite recently um yes yeah, it's, it's it's lovely there's like for most days of the week there's a different kind of audio yeah meetup it's in, true in here, in very place. often here yeah well that's me i'm just trying to do anything anything podcast it should happen here i will accept that it has to happen in other places sometimes but I always try and make it happen here. And it's like a really big, open, warm community. I've met so many people just yeah. from um, meetups and got advice from people. and Everyone's so helpful and there's no real... It's not really competitive, competitive it? no. It's not that kind of thing. I mean, I think the nature of it, to, and it's not true to a complete extent, but certainly much more than in the US where kind of networks rule in a much more significant way, um, as well as sort of the traditional sort of, you know journalism routes into podcasting but like the big networks um you know take up a lot of the space that's not really true here outside the bbc who are only really now getting into original podcasting content now um i think it is much more of a meritocracy than than in america and in, uh, than in other art forms it's not entirely a meritocracy there's always going to be different reasons why luck and hard work are always going to be really important factors in success. But I think if you if you have a really good show, you're going to do all right. And you might do amazingly. But I do think um, there is that opportunity that if you're just making a good show, people will listen to it and people will find out about it and it will get spread by word of mouth. And then we'll have shows that, that people might not have necessarily heard of who will say, I would love to come and do a show at the festival. And I'm like, I listen to it and think, well, this is great. And I say, can you send me your download figures? And and I'm like, oh my God, these download figures are incredible, but I haven't seen you in the charts or I haven't read about you for whatever reason. Um, And then you book the show and it's it's true. You know, you'll sell out overnight. All these people will turn up. They might be flying under the radar of kind of the mainstream press or, or even the iTunes chart for whatever reason, they're not showing up in there. Um, but you can, the fans exist, you know, and they'll, they'll come out to see a show. I mean, the fans are like, oh, we exist. Like, they've seen yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. kind of really adds adored, to it. Yeah. Like, you don't, because you don't get to read about your favourite thing or... Yeah, that maybe that's one of the reasons why they're so passionate, because they're all little niche audiences. Because not everything can be written about. Like, it's just... that's no. There are lots of podcasts now, and that's okay. Yeah, like, the Daily Mail did a top 100 this weekend, which is such... I mean, 100 is nothing, really. And a lot of it... It was an interesting list, not a bad list, but a lot of them are the shows that people already know about. Someone who's never been to the festival before, it's over two weekends, yeah. how should they spend their time, would you say? I mean, my hope would be... So, you know, there's, there's some big kind of uh, headline shows that, you know... Uh, Obviously, yeah, Doughboys are coming over from the US. Uh, the Empire podcast, who is the home of now, Throwing Shade are coming back. Adam Buxton's here. Yeah, um, you know, obviously, the Girls Who Feminist are here. Uh, Lots of mashups and crossovers. As yeah, well. yeah. Russell Tovey's doing his his art show. Um, you know, Katie Brown and Catherine Parkinson are doing a show. Um, so, I, uh, Mark Kermode's doing it this year, which is the first time he's done it, which is I'm really excited about because he felt like it felt like a, a, a gap not having you know. They won so many awards for that phase. Yeah, yeah, I think they're, uh, yeah, so that show, yeah, Kermode and Mayo, he's doing uh, Kermode on film, but Kermode and Mayo certainly is a really important part of the podcasting story in this country. Um, Yeah, Chris Gethard's coming back to do Beautiful Anonymous. There's a lot of, 
Oh, and uh, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, I'm massively excited about, coming from New York, which is like my, my favourite film show. It's amazing. Uh, really fascinating, hilarious, brilliant show. Um, so people might go, oh, I'm going to come and see that show, but we have like multi-buy discounts, so if you come and see more shows, you'll save some money, and I would hope that people will pick and choose a selection of shows. Everything is individually ticketed, because I don't think there's much point having a pass to a podcast festival, because because it is so curated, you know, and you're not necessarily... I don't ever want people to have an audience that the majority of people who haven't heard the show before. It would be like a weird atmosphere. Um, but yeah, we do multi-buys, so we love people to come and... A lot of people buy for like six shows over over the weekends. Um, there's a really w- wonderful atmosphere uh, across both weekends. The second weekend, you could also come, and the multi-buys there for that too, come and do some workshops. Um, we have an amazing... Uh, program of workshops uh, which Martin Ostwick helps us put together with an amazing group of volunteers um, really broad range of stuff but if you're interested in starting a podcast that's the thing to go to or you know if you're already kind of established and you want to find out more about monetizing your podcast or whatever it is you know there's there's a track within the podcast makers weekend for you um, as well as kind of some some sort of more industry slanted panels um, but it's a really fantastic program so you can do that too can learn how to make a podcast. Um, Spotify and Acast are our partners, and um, we'll have some sort of fan experience stuff around this year. I can't say exactly what yet, but I'm hoping to have more things around that people can enjoy. Um, we have our podcast lounge upstairs, which is for kind of meet and greets and informal networking, and uh, the podcasters and producers will be up there every night as well. Um, there's lots of lovely places to just hang out in the building. Um, you'll make friends. People have found love. Um, it's true. That's a podcast um, in itself. Yeah, Everybody's found yeah. love. <laughs> um, I had someone in the uh, in the social media on the second year kind of said, you know, just what an amazing group of people it was at the festival in terms of the audience. And they said, like, speed friend dating next year, please. Which I don't think we need to do formally, but I think that is what the atmosphere is like. You know, it's it's such a warm, friendly community of people. And everyone is just so happy to be here and seeing their favourite podcast that everyone is just hanging out together it feels like you know 10,000 people over two weekends who are all just hanging out together so that's the thing it's really coming down for the weekend you might have a ticket for one three yeah. shows but in between hangout exactly we also have two fantastic galleries here and we have an amazing terrace and there's all the other amazing stuff to do in King's Cross we have a fantastic restaurant and cafe and it's a really really good bar it's like we have a ridiculously beautiful terrace it's such a lovely on the canal yeah like, it's, it's, it's dreamy like there is no better place to spend a weekend really I feel like Helen Zaltzman should get a shout out yeah just we should be... say something about Helen yeah what should you say about Helen well so The Illusionist uh, has been part of the festival since 2016 yeah, as well um, I mean ridiculously good live shows I mean what Helen comes up with she always kind of like makes you panic a bit and be like oh I don't really know what I'm going to do Zoe and then still no she didn't do it this year because she's been touring this show but certainly that's what she always used to say the first years I don't I don't really know and so then that's a real show come up with this incredible yeah that's that's a check like it's a written yeah, yeah. Um, but Helen is you know I think just such an important figure in UK podcasting you know the podcaster support group is obviously uh, an incredible resource for people and that she manages to keep it nice is a miracle um, in terms of she's been so supportive of the festival and a real wonderful advocate for it and I think if Helen says something is is good that goes a long way with people um, and her and Martin um, 
just just will just will be here you know they're just they've just always just been here the whole time you know and helping people and being supportive and guesting on other people's shows and you know it it was martin in the second year that sort of uh you know spearheaded bringing workshops into it because he feels so passionate about that um but yeah helen is she's incredible the illusionist is an amazing podcast and those kind of shows that you know come back year after year um they're such an important part of you know what what makes the festival work and 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 giving it a sense of identity um the illusionist is just such an amazing example of a of a great british podcast so we i never want the festival to kind of uh skew too much into just international shows you know so having you know beef and dairy and grief cast and beef to grief feminist yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't come up with that that was in a, a preview but ben did really like it I mean, it is, but yeah, and, and standard issue and inside the comedian and all these shows that are here with us year round. Um, it, it's it's still majority a British podcast festival, um, but we do have some really exciting international shows. You just like they love, love coming to London. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review, and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts. And why not tell a friend too? This helps our community grow and that enables me to keep making Freelance Pod.